You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. living. I have sometimes been wildly, despairingly, acutely miserable, racked with sorrow, but through it all, I still know quite certainly that just to be alive is a grand thing. That quote is from Agatha Christie. But Kimmy, I am terribly sorry to report that she is not still living, like you thought (laughs) a few episodes back. You're never going to let me live that down, are you? I most certainly am not. Okay, she is clearly hanging out with Tupac or something because (laughs) I still see people posting newly published stuff by her. (laughs) I don't know if it's re-releases or what, but I've sent you screenshots of this. that People are like, happy pub day to this Agatha Christie book. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So I've like sent you that. It happens. And so that's why I thought she was maybe still turning them out. I didn't know anything about her at all. So don't even with me. Do not even. (sighs) But anyway, since then, we have both learned a lot about Mrs. Christie. I mean. (laughs) But before we get to that. Yeah, we'll get there later. Let's dive in. What else have you been reading? I am still trudging through the Throne of Glass series still. I'm on the third book now, and I have never done this before where I read a series back to back. I... Wonder, I'm really wondering what I'm going to do at the end of this one. Is it the last one? No. Oh, there's, oh like if you're going to want more. Yeah, I'm going to want more. Because um, things are kind of changing in this book a little bit. The dynamic is changing a, a bit. Um, I tried to read one of my arcs that I needed to write a review on. Uh, but I could not stop thinking about <laughs> Selena and everything that was going on in that world. So I was like, screw this. Like... Uh, this year, you you said it earlier this year, I'm going to read what I want. Yes. And that is what I'm doing. Every time that I was like, oh, I should be reading an arc. No, I should be reading what I want to read. <laughs> oh, I take it back. Read your arcs. No. <laughs> I have OCD about this. <laughs> I know you do. But I'm going to finish the series <laughs> first, damn it. That's so, hilarious. What have you been reading? <laughs> I have read so many things since our last episode. I can't even name them all, but I'll name a few. Give us the highlights. I'll give you a little light and some highlights. How about? Deal. The one I just finished was The Invisible Husband of Frick Island by Colleen Oakley, which has literally been on my TBR forever. I even bought the physical book on an island, which I never buy physical books. Mm Mm-hmm. You've been talking about this one for a while. I know, so I'm pissed. I did not like it. I'm so disappointed. I had such high expectations. And I almost DNF'd. I almost wanted to be like you and be like, read what you want. And it's really not this. But I had to see if it would turn back around or something. I don't know. I was such an optimist because I wanted to for so long. So I switched to audiobooks so I could power through. And I'm... 
there was one part that I was like, oh, yeah, that's cute. Makes sense. Eh, moving on. Oh. So. Man, you have been talking about this book forever. Yeah. About how you wanted to read it. And it's been on your backlist forever. Now I'm going to have to take it to poor Richards and sell it. Oh, that bad? Yeah. You don't even want it in your house? I don't want to give it away for free either. I'm mad I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I have read a lot of books that I really, really, really loved lately. One of the main ones was In Order to Live by Yon Mi Park. That's the memoirs of when she lived in North Korea and escaped through China and eventually made it to South Korea. It was so good and heartbreaking and wild. Like, you know I read a lot of dystopia, but some things that went down are just so unimaginable that you would never even find them in fiction. And if you did, no one would believe it. It's really heartbreaking, and that book will stick with me for a very long time. This book interested me as well. It's I, really I feel like good. I need to be on a right mind space to read it, though. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty short, and it's just wild because, you know, it's her true memoir. Right. I think as hard as those stories are to read, people should be aware of that oh, kind of stuff going on. Absolutely. Yeah. So, on a happier note, the other book I recently loved lately wasn't really a happy book, but whatever. <laughs> Um, I am obsessed and have only become increasingly more so since I finished is Tell Me an Ending by Joe Harkin. This is basically a book that explores if memory deletion were a medical procedure and how that would look from various angles from employees to customers. And the research that Joe Harkin put into it like was so amazing. I attended author chats with her and she like included real life research that's like real life and she said multiple times in both of them like the the technology or how to do this is real like we can delete memories in rats but it hasn't happened with humans yet because of the ethics of it and yeah you know you can't ask a rat how the experience went for them but they can do it wow and so she just like just wove all that seamlessly into like real researches real history of all these things that does she shape. have a science background? Mm-hmm. I don't oh. think so. Okay. I was just curious. She just likes memory stuff like me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Cool. So I will gush over that one forever. Honestly, both of those last two I will gush over forever. Sad I read them in the same month because I don't know what to pick for a favorite. They're oh. both like year contender favorites. Wow. Oh, man. So good. Wow. So uh, I could take up a whole episode talking about either of those books, but we already have plans for this episode. We do. So, Katie. Yeah. Remember last season when you would just always do author facts? I do. Well, I just talked for so long about some of my recent reads. Why don't you do your facts again so you could have a turn with a monologue this episode? I would love to. So grab a cup of tea real quick and check it for poison, of course, and sit back while we take a look at Agatha Christie. A.C. A.C. lived a good long life, Kimmy, from (laughs) 1890 to 1976. That was close. (laughs) Okay. In that time, she wrote 66 detective novels and 14 short story collections. She had two famously reoccurring characters, Hercule, 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 
Pyro. 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 That's how it sounded to me with Pyro. my Bible thumper. Oh, it sounded like Pyro to me. It sounded like Pyro to me. It was so Hercule Pyro. I knew that this was going to happen with this name. And Mrs. Marple. We or Miss Marple. We should have done a Miss Marple book. Just easier to say. <laughs> Miss Marple was based on Agatha Christie's maternal grandmother. Aww. Yeah. That's fresh. She was married to Archibald Christie in 1914, and they had one child together before they divorced in 1928. But we'll get to this husband a little bit later. During both of the World Wars, she worked in a hospital, which is where she obtained her extensive knowledge on poisons, which we would later see play a large role in all of her books. Strangely enough, in December of 1926, Agatha Christie disappeared after an argument with her lovely husband, Archie, who had just asked her for a divorce because he was in love with another woman, Nancy. This was a huge news story, and there was a reward offered to find her. Thousands of volunteers searched for her with no such luck. She was found 11 days later at a hotel just north of their home. She was registered at the hotel under the name Miss Teresa Teresa Neely. Neely was the last name of Nancy, Archie's new lover. She was diagnosed with amnesia after the disappearance. <laughs> Weird. Just quick, sudden, 11-day onset that yeah. just goes away. I'm fine now. So weird. She divorced Archie, and he was able to marry his new lover, Nancy, one week after their divorce was official. Death on the Nile was written after she married her second husband, husband Max Mallowan, in 1930. Death on the Nile was published in 1937. Max was an archaeologist, and she would accompany him on digs, which played a part in her ideas for this book. Wow. Did she have, like, denial when she would be asked about her disappearance? She did. I dig it. <laughs> Hopefully you got denial one too. I didn't until oh, now. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, I was like, that was a weird question. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> I got a couple more random facts about our girl, AC, if you want to hear him. Uh, duh. Okay. So when Heracule Perot, Pori, when that guy died, he was given a full-page obituary in the New York Times. What? Spoiler alert, he dies? I guess. I don't know which book he dies in, if that's probably the last probably, one. Probably the last <laughs> one series. Most likely. This one was 17. Oh, man. Death on the Nile is 17. Uh, she also didn't want any depiction of Hercule on the cover of any of her books. Did she say why? I would imagine it's to leave him up to the imagination there was no explanation behind that but he's french right he is polish oh i only assumed he was french based off the accent that yes. my audiobook yes so a lot of people ask that oh i'm sorry he is not polish he is belgium belgian <laughs> not belgium that's a waffle um <laughs> he is belgian Belgian waffle? That's also a waffle. <laughs> I'm going through the whole dialogue here, folks. So my apologies. He is from Belgium, the country. I'm going to keep spinning myself into uh, a tizzy as Kimmy just judges me in horror. 
I'm anyway, we'll come up with my waffle story that my husband would bring up if he were to listen to this. That's what I was uh, getting at. Yeah, spinning to. Yeah, when I was what? on my yeah. honeymoon. Yeah, I got. I was a little drunk once, and I wanted to talk about Bulgarian waffles. <laughs> no, no, I just messed it up again. I kept talking. <laughs> I thought you did that on purpose. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. I was already me. thinking of it. I kept I kept talking about Bulgarian waffles, but I knew it sounded wrong. And I was like, Bulgarian, Bulgarian. Am I pronouncing it wrong? Why does it sound wrong? And my <laughs> husband was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And yeah, so I met Belgian waffles, but I just couldn't go there. So anyways. I had a very in-depth discussion. I don't know if it was with you or somebody else about how it's Belgian and not Belgium waffles. Or maybe oh, yeah, it's I think vice versa. It's definitely not Bulgarian waffles. <sighs> or Bolivia. Oh, Bolivia. Or Belarus. It, I could keep going. Okay, go. Boston. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, enough talk about waffles. He is Belgian. Uh, she wrote six books under a pseudonym, Mary Westmacott. And it took 20 years for anyone to figure out it was her. Take that, Stephen King. I knew you were going to say that. Talk about all the pseudonyms. (laughs) Uh, She also wrote the longest play, excuse me, the longest running play in history called The Mousetrap, which has been on stage since 1952. Wow. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. This concludes my biography on Agatha Christie. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So back in the first episode of the season, we decided we were going to do an episode focusing on Agatha Christie. We decided just spur of the moment, literally (laughs) in that episode, that we were going to read Death on the Nile and also a couple of other books that are historical fiction that focuses on that strange disappearance you talked about in 1926. Those books are The Mystery of Mrs. Christie by Marie Benedict, which came out in December 2020, and The Christie Affair by... Nina de Garamond. Are you French? Yes. How did you know? Oh. Oui, oui. <laughs> Not Belgian? No. Oh, okay. So that one was released February 1st, 2022. I was laughing because, like I mentioned earlier, I attended a virtual author chat with Joe Harkin, the author of Tell Me an Ending, and also Rob Hart, author of The Paradox Hotel, And they had been discussing time periods they would time travel back to for a visit. And they discussed how it'd be fun to go back to like big historical mysteries, such as when Agatha Christie disappeared. Like this is on people's minds right now. I was just cackling like. Okay. So like has something happened that we missed? Why this is such a big event? Maybe no one knew about it. And we all like collectively found out as well. Marie Benedict found out first, but for whatever reason, no one's read that. (laughs) But That's and a then, whole other story. And then everyone else caught on. And now everyone's like, oh, that is interesting. And I think that's just maybe part of it. I don't know. I don't know either. But it is interesting. That she's as popular as ever? Yeah, and she's still dead. Still? Still. So she is as popular as ever. Stuff keeps getting re-released. If you look up Death on the Nile, there's not only a million covers, but narrators, all the things. So, and that just became a movie that came out in February as well. Was it Gal Gadot? Yep. Did you see it? I did not get a chance to see it, unfortunately. 
You can thank my husband for that. Thanks, Katie's husband. Whoops. <laughs> what? Nothing. It's another beer. <laughs> okay. All right. So you read all three of those books. I only read Death on the Nile and The Mystery of Mrs. Christie. I started to listen to The Christie Affair, but I could not get into that. So let's start with that book. What were your thoughts on The Christie Affair? Don't hold back. All right. I will not hold back. I'm so frustrated with that book because honestly, it could have been a great story. The whole time I could see the potential, but it just didn't add up in this context. It also makes some big presumptions, which I think is harder to do in historical fiction that you are basing on actual events in the lives of real, actual people versus what it would be if it were just all pure fiction. It's told from the perspective of Nan, or Nancy Neely, who you already mentioned was Archibald Christie's mistress. So the first presumption is that Nan intentionally stole Archibald away, which could be pretty slanderous if she were still alive. Her reason for stealing Archibald away is interesting, and this is where I could see the potential for a great story. And let me just say, spoiler alert, you can fast forward 15 seconds if you don't want to know, and we'll talk around it. But she believed that nuns had stolen her baby, and Agatha and her husband had adopted this baby, and so she got close to him because she wanted the baby back and to be close to the baby. Okay, so in all of the research that I did about Agatha Christie and all the rabbit holes I went down. That was never even like (laughs) alluded to. But so that's the thing. So hear me out. Honestly, if you think of that, like that would make such an incredible thriller, like creepy psychological thriller, especially when you do have the dual timelines of just her time with nuns. Yeah. To, the how she's still mentally messed up years later and just breaks that would be an amazing thriller absolutely but this was not a thriller and so the foundation is there but it doesn't work in the context with the christies it almost felt cringy like she was using them as a cheap hook to draw in readers and from there it was like they had to be forced into this other random story that was unrealistic and confusing yeah, I I absolutely see what you're saying with that. Um, especially the part about what you mentioned, that this could be slanderous. Like, Nancy Neely's family, I wonder what they think of it. Right. And I wonder if... Because that's... This is a real person. Right. It's, Nancy is not made up. She was actually the mistress of Archibald Christie. And that is extreme... To like accusations. go and put reasons and intentions behind this person's like yeah. motives is a lot. Yeah, and especially to paint them as a crazy person who could not see how far-fetched that was and sealing Archibald intentionally and thinking that the baby was hers. and yeah. Not cool. Not cool. Anyway, I got about 20% through the book, and the way it was written... To me, it just seemed like it was talking in a lot of circles. The part that I read was extremely poorly done. And then I texted you and I was like, do I really need to read this? This sucks. And you were like, 
Most definitely not. Let me save your life. (laughs) Thank you for taking that bullet for me. (laughs) I'm not dramatic at all. I had high hopes for this book. Too much, too many high hopes like you did. And it was just disappointing that it wasn't executed better, unfortunately. It's funny that you remind me of that because I was really irritated while reading it with how it was written but I had since blocked that from my mind. About being written in circles? It was written in circles, but it was also all told, like I said, from Nan's perspective, Mm -hmm. but it would like jump into other people's brains. Yeah. And then, but it like addressed that too. Like it knew it was bad and weird and dumb. And it was like, oh, you may wonder how I knew things such as this, but I've pieced things together later. Yeah. And I was like, okay, if you know, like why? No. And uh, another book I'm reading right now is called Burning Questions, which is a collection of like reviews, essays, thoughts, speeches Mm -hmm. from Margaret Atwood. And one of her like main pieces of advice to writers was if something's not working, change the perspective or tense. And I was like, "Hmm, oh, I know someone who could use (laughs) Sorry, I'm such a book badger sometimes. Okay, anyway. It's fine. It's fine. Now we got that unfortunately popular book out of the way. So back in that earlier episode of The Lost Chill Season 2, we decided on a Agatha Christie episode. As that was happening, you were hoping that AC would be your next favorite thing. Uh huh. Now that you have read one of her books and a historical fiction book about her disappearance, are those feelings still the same? Yes and no. So I was happy that the language was understandable, unlike that Pride and Prejudice nonsense. But but I found this book to be rather slow. I was paying attention to when the first murder took place, and it happened almost exactly at the halfway point. This irked me because there was so much buildup and setup that solving of the murders felt rushed to me. I think, or I could be a complete outlier here, And could be completely off base. But this is what it felt like to me. Hercule was an interesting fella to me though. I liked the air that he had. And the minor celebrity status he held. I was really hoping that I would leave this book. Wanting to binge all of her other creations. But I unfortunately didn't feel that way. It was good. But not amazing. I don't like to read such books out of order. Like, we didn't necessarily need everything that happened to Hercule before. But, like, I want to know, what. how did he get such notoriety? Sure. How did he get so famous? I was curious about that. But I liked... It reminded me of... Back to our movie podcast real quick. Uh, the movie Knives Out. Never even heard of it. It's fantastic. Chris Evans is in it and... James Bond, I can't think of his name right now. Oh, James Bond. The newest James Bond. Oh. Uh, Daniel Craig. There it is. Okay. Tony Collette. Like, there's a whole bunch of people in it. It's fantastic. You should watch it. I assume that movie was based off of books or ideas similar to Agatha Christie's writing. Because it felt that way that you have this established and somewhat of a minor celebrity status detective that comes in to this weird mix of people and solves the murder easily. And you get to watch the process and how, how it happens. So I liked that. I see what you're saying that you wanted the backstory of him, but I don't know. 
That's just me. I like to know people. Yeah. When they like, I I did. You want to grow I mean, with at them? At least the like one Easter egg I caught because there was like an obvious one. Maybe there were more, but when Maybe. he was like, "Oh, that murder on a train," I saw. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> "I heard about that one." And now, but there was also a spoiler too. If you did read them out of order, I yeah, it's okay. I don't think it is. Uh, but also, I see what you mean. Going back, sorry, I'm all jumbled and out of order. We're responding all, yeah. to you. You're out of order. And the book like, is out of order? Just call me Una. Oh, and the book. <laughs> but yeah, there was a lot of time spent introducing the characters and like just yeah. bringing everyone in as opposed to the nitty gritty of the actual... For a book where those characters, I'm assuming, don't ever return. Well, I can think of two who won't return for sure. <laughs> Hercule? Is this the book he dies? Mm-mm. Oh, JK it is. It's his death on the Nile. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It it was so much set up because I was seriously sitting there and I was like, "We're halfway through this book, or approaching halfway through, I should say, and nobody's dead." Yeah, it was a lot to give a lot of backstory. Yeah. A lot on every character and see how they knew each other or didn't or which Which, was hard to keep track of too. Yes, it was. And I don't necessarily think it was very relevant to the solving of the case for the reader. Maybe a couple, but not all of them. I mean, probably helped lay the groundwork to give nearly everyone a motive too. I could see that. So I don't know. Huh? Yeah. But, I mean, the motives were spelling themselves out. Yeah. So. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. In this book, Hercule is on a boat to Egypt for vacation and stumbles across a murder. Not just one murder, but two! <laughs> yes, two murders. This tale takes us along the case of Her- as Hercule tries to figure out who done it. Tell me your thoughts on this first Agatha Christie read, besides what we've already discussed. <laughs> Very Sorry. redundant. Oopsie. So let me preface this by saying I prefer to actually read versus listen to all of the books we discuss on the Lost Chill podcast because it helps me remember details. I feel like that would have been especially helpful in a mystery book with this many characters, but I somehow didn't even see it in time when it was offered with my book of the month. <laughs> And then I couldn't find it through any of my libraries, so I had to listen to it. And I could not even with this narrator. So obviously this book, like I said, has been released and re-released. Different covers, different narrators. I just went with the first one that popped up. The narrator I wound up with was David Suchet. I looked this guy up. He literally only narrates... Agatha Christie books, the Bible, like two or three other religious books, and then Dracula, which he does with Tom Hiddleston, who of course dated Taylor Swift and famously wore the I Heart TS shirt, which I get because I would do that too. And played Loki. <laughs> That's like, no, end game, okay? <laughs> I love Loki. Okay, I'm sorry. 
I love Taylor. I also heart, I heart TS. We'll get shirts. Yeah, I heart Loki and I heart TS, and it's perfect. So perfect. Yeah. Um, I have so much to say. Oh, do tell. I do. Um, first of all, the fact that you just throw in Dracula with Loki at the end of that. <laughs> You're welcome for my. I'm service. like, that's so random compared to all the other things that he does. Anyway, that's crazy. I half read and half listened because I needed to listen to the audiobook because I had to get shit done. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, my narrator was Kenneth Brana, and he was phenomenal. I am really sorry that you had a bad narrator because a bad narrator can make a good book bad and vice versa. What was it about his narration that he dis- that you disliked? Was he boring? So I feel like calling him bad isn't even necessarily the right word for things because I can applaud him because that guy can do some voices. It sounded full cast. But, but, at the same time, the voices were so unique and so incredibly varied and often so heavily accented that I had to slow it way down to understand it. Normally, I listen to books like crazy fast, 2.6 speed or more, typically around there, like 2.5 is very average. For this book, I was listening about 1.5, and I still kept almost wanting to go slower, which was also just frustrating for the times it was not a character voice, but was just the normal narration. I wanted to, like, it just was never the right speed. Does he have an accent too? No. No, he's American. Maybe lightly English, but not hard to understand. Um, But whenever, so I could barely understand a hair creole ever, Uh even when it was slowed down. And a few other air characters too, I could barely understand. But whenever someone like murmured or whispered, he would drop his voice so low. So then I couldn't even hear it. So I don't know. It, It was just those combinations of like, I couldn't get a good speed. I couldn't get a good volume. And so that was incredibly frustrating. Yeah. And I don't even know if that's something to put on him because like I said, he could, he is talented and can do a lot. And so I don't know if it was just poor production. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, I totally understand what you're saying with the accents because my narrator was great with the accents as well. Sounded like full cast too, but I had to slow it down as well because it's like, what did he just say? What? Which is frustrating when it's the main detective and you're like, probably this is important. Right. Probably this is going to be connected to something later on in the book. So I get it. It's frustrating AF. I'm still trying to figure out why he's so niche, though. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was so... Con- and it's like not even just... It's like multiple Bible things and not like... Not like multiple Bible books. It's not like Matthew and John and James. It's like the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. <laughs> I don't even know. So like different versions? versions. I don't know if it's like New King James and Old King James and like, I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> like it's just. I don't know why either. It's just a very odd set of titles to have on your resume. People love what they love. I don't know. So I was hoping that. Part of me not being able to get into this book was from that poor listening experience. How did it end up going for you? 
when you did physically actually read it. Yeah. Both reading and listening went really well for me. I thought that it was enjoyable. But like I said earlier, it just wasn't outstanding. And I was just really hoping for outstanding. Um, With this one, because I did both uh, reading and listening, I didn't really prefer one over the other. Um, Both were enjoyable. So I'm not in any rush to read any Agatha Christie books. But I was able to find a used copy of The Murder on the Orient Express, which was spoiler alerted for me. And You just know where one piece of evidence is hidden. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's fine. So I will probably still read that one for sure because I already have it eventually. That's another Heracule book as well. So I would also like to read a Miss Marple book see how they compare and the murder on the orient express will probably be on my backlisted books book lists a few years from now if i'm really being honest here it'll be like i need to read this that's funny i could probably go mrs marple for my next try a part of me wants to read like her highest rated book but then also not because i'm like if i like that but i know everything else is worse from there yeah. It's hard. Uh, it's hard to choose which direction you want to go with without having to read the entire 66 books. Right. So, I mean, David Suchet did it, but... Yeah, he did. Maybe some other people. Yeah. So. It's not high on my list, but it's not off the table either. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to read a Miss Marple book, especially after finding out that it was based on her grandmother. I think that's kind of cute. <laughs> Just kind of see how that relates and i wonder who hercule was based off of probably like whoever she spent those 11 days with (laughs) well unfortunately the book started before then so the series i should say and so agatha christie had a goal of writing a mystery book that no one could solve i personally love trying to guess a whodunit before it's revealed did you figure out whodunit before it was revealed First of all, I do have to ask, did you actually read that elsewhere while researching her? Or is it from, um, I remember seeing that in the Mystery of Mrs. Christie. And I do remember she wrote a lot in the afterward about how her sister helped challenge her. But I don't remember if that was a super specific goal she brought into the book. Yeah, I did read it elsewhere. I think it was on uh, agathachristie.com, if I remember correctly. I would have to look it up. Oh. I went down a lot of rabbit holes. (laughs) Like, a lot. Okay. Well, it was fun. It was fun learning about her, though. Oh, I love me a good rabbit hole. Yeah, because it's like I knew nothing about her other than she wrote all these books. I mean, just like the rest of the world, I just found out that she disappeared for 11 days. Surprise. Yeah. And it's fascinating. It is. Because who does that? It's just like, it's amnesia. It's okay. See you later. <laughs> Don't nothing to see here. Oh man! So we'll we'll maybe get to that a little later. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> well, to answer your question though about uh, if I could guess this who done it? Yeah, I suspected correctly, but also it did ebb and flow. I feel like Agatha did a great job of casting suspicion on everyone, or at least giving them a motive. Not to mention that in addition to that. Numerous people were guilty of something, even yeah. if it wasn't murder, which really muddied the waters, so to speak. That's another Nile joke. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure. I got that okay. one. Just denial went over my head. 
that was the best one. So did you crack the case before all was revealed? Um, yes and no. Like, I was kind of with you. Like, everybody had um, a motive to do this. So I was suspicious of everyone. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't wait. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> so she did a really great job, like you said, of kind of putting all of these red herrings throughout the, the boat. And I suspected that's who done it, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure until it was revealed. It seemed too easy. That's why I always I always shoot myself in the foot. Huh. Because you don't want to because yeah. you can't pick the easy answer. I can't pick the easy answer. I'm like it has to be more complex than that. There has to be something that I'm missing. So you So basically what she did is like drew things in a straight line. Uh-huh. Did the herrings and you wanted the twist, but you didn't yeah. get it. Okay. Didn't get it and I I was like this can't be it. But it was. Okay. Do you think it's truly possible to write a mystery where the reader is unable to solve it? I mean, the author is in control of what information they're feeding you. So I always keep that in mind when I'm trying to decipher who the suspect is. But that's also part of the fun, though. What are your thoughts on that? So to say that no reader could solve it is probably impossible versus most readers can't solve this. Sure. Also, I kind of view it like a game of Clue. While in Clue, you're trying to figure out the perpetrator, the weapon, and the setting. In most books, you're trying to figure out the perpetrator, the how, and the why. So furthermore, I think it's pretty hard to write a book that absolutely no reader could guess the perp. Because statistically speaking, someone could just guess the right answer looking at a list of characters. But it's the other aspects that could be harder to figure out. Yeah, I agree as well. The red herrings thrown in from time to time alone with the writer controlling how much information the reader gets. You could think you have the suspect nailed down from the start of the book, but then you don't because it's C from IT that's never even been mentioned in the book up until now. I'm so glad you said IT because I really thought you were going to start referencing Stephen King and say it. And I, I haven't read it, so I don't know if Steve's a character or not. Oh, and I was no. like, what? This got really weird. <laughs> no, Steve from IT. You don't oh, know him? No, he usually brings the tuna sandwich and leaves it out and oh, it kind of gets gosh, a little stinky. That guy. Yeah. That's funny. Um, so you also said that you guessed it, but it was easy. Did you guess then the two perps no okay i did not did you no yeah that was a little bit better yeah that yeah. was a little bit better yeah i will say that so we have talked so much about what defines a classic and agatha christie's work is definitely in that realm today's modern mystery writers are typically divided even further by subgenre. i would say you have authors like Lucy Foley and Alice Feeney in twisty, more domestic-type thrillers. There's the cozy mystery group that we featured a lot with Richard Osman and El Cosmano. Can you even compare any of these modern mysteries to a classic like Death on the Nile? Would you even want to? So that's a tricky question to me. I think it's more appropriate to compare 
Agatha Christie to these types of authors as opposed to other classic writers like Charles Dickens or my favorite Jane Austen. <laughs> She's not my favorite for the record. Why? She wrote your favorite character ever. I think. Oh. Okay, never mind. What? No, go ahead. Speaking of your favorite character ever, I just listened to Under One Roof and I am. Roof. <laughs> Roof. <laughs> Ruth is a really, really sleazy <laughs> off-Broadway version of this book. <laughs> Under one roof. Oh. But yeah, that enemies to lovers that we talked about two episodes ago. Um, yeah. I. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm still laughing about Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked you didn't like that. I thought it was a well done enemies to lovers. I still haven't finished it. Oh. I'm like halfway through. It's only like it's well, super short. Well, yeah, it's predictable. It's yeah, I read it all today. Yeah, Listen oh yeah, um, super short. Yeah, it's predictable, but I also found it funny that you like <laughs> blamed this one random sentence that made it predictable, like it was foreshadowing when yeah. the prologue was literally them hooking up in the kitchen. Like that wasn't enough spoiler for you. I mean, if you look at it that way, (laughs) I didn't look at it that way. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's like what you were saying earlier about, um, where you're being told, like, I know that's weird, but whatever. So yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to do that. But when we talk about Mr. Darcy, my mind goes enemies to lovers and you and I recently discussed that and I just finished it. So sorry for the tangent. Back to classics talk. Meanwhile, check out Under One Ruth on Pornhub. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) That was still my favorite episode. Go check it out. It's Do it. The Love Hypothesis by Ellie Hazelwood. A couple episodes back. Don't listen to it around children. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to Agatha Christie. So I think that if we're going to compare her work to those writers like Jane Austen and Charles Dickens, those classical writers, it gets pretty tricky because it's apples and oranges. At least with this group of modern day authors, it is the same genre, but still slightly difficult to compare. I honestly don't think I would even want to compare them. I honestly don't know if I would want to compare any classics either, because they were written in such different times that references, procedures, and so many other things are completely different. What are your thoughts on this? Are you still thinking about Ruth? (sighs) Jesus. That was a good one. So, the way you worded things honestly took my mind away from straight-up comparisons and brought my mind back to the problem with ratings. Oh. Because, in the same note, is a five-star read the same all the way across the board? That is a fair point. like, say... Like, we loved the love hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Five-star read for mm-hmm. us. Is a five-star romance comparable to a five-star heartbreaking historical fiction? Is it comparable to your favorite Stephen King novel? And so I think 
I do think that things are better compared, like staying in genre. I have started rating things a little more somewhat with intention. Sometimes I'm a little crazy, but it's fine. But I think that it makes a big difference to consider it as compared to books within that genre versus books all across the world and that sort of thing. If that makes sense. It does. Um, so while you were explaining all of that, I was looking up all of the ratings for all three books that we are talking about in this episode. Death on the Nile is the highest rated out of all three of the books. Um, and it's rated at 4.12 on Goodreads as of today. Um, Mystery of Mrs. Christie is 3.73. And then The Christie Affair is actually uh, a little bit higher at 3.82. Oh, man. So, I mean, these books are all very similar in ratings. We're talking about not very many points difference. Right. Yeah. But can you really compare all three of those? No. And they aren't close in my head. <laughs> no. At all. No. So it's just so subjective. It's hard to compare books. And I don't even remember. I think we briefly touched on it. We probably could have done a little more in the debut author versus established author episode. Um, But I, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine, but I can't help but do it sometimes when there is a debut author and people are like, oh, for people who love this book and like instantly compare it before you even read it. Yeah. So you're automatically thinking of that book while you're reading it. Right, yeah. And you're like, this isn't like that book at all. Or this is exactly like it. And it sort of already paints that picture for you. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's very tricky. It is tricky. But I mean, the reason that I think that this is important to talk about is mainly because you lump all of these books. You lump all of Charles Dickens' works and all of Jane Austen's works and all of Agatha Christie's works into this one genre of classics. Yeah, classics is too broad. Yeah. So it's like when a person says, I love classics, what does that mean? (laughs) Okay, so you like 1984 or you like Death on the Nile or you like Pride and Prejudice. Those three books are light years (laughs) apart. You don't see the clear parallels between Pride and Prejudice and 1984? The rats. It was Mr. Darcy. Oh, it was Mrs. Darcy? (laughs) Oopsie. I mean, that's why I get get so hung up on the classics. Because I'm like, typically they're, they're not my thing, as we've talked about before. But it's like, I want a definition for classics. And there isn't one. Calm down. Doesn't have to be. Define the relationship. Read shit in order and then reread it. No. <laughs> and, um, no. So the other thing too, though, that I just said a few minutes ago was I feel like it's best and not even comparable in the same broad genre. I'm a big lover of the subgenre. Sure. All day long. Because I honestly would not compare El Cosmano or... Richard Osmond with the Thursday Murder Club to Alice Feeney, Rock, Paper, Scissors, or Louis Foley in the Guest List. Those are like worlds apart, even though they're all technically mysteries. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that's why I think that we, 
I mean, even myself, obviously, since I'm saying here, I want a definition, but like we get so define me, define, define define our relationship. But I get so hung up on the genre or what the genre is supposed to entail. And there's no fucking rules. Which we discussed on our Stephen King episode. Yeah. Go listen to that. Yeah. When we discussed horror. Yeah. And why so many people are like, ooh, I don't like horror, so I won't read that. Yeah. It's me. I was like that. You were. But horror means nothing. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it could mean, it, it just depends. It basically means it was written by Stephen King. No. I can read those books. <laughs> horror. <laughs> All right. So I'll be bringing The Shining over next time. It. Dr. Sleep. Pet Cemetery. I will hold on to them like you're holding on to my feeling fiction book for the past oh, few years. Oh, I knew you were going to. I was. Uh, I forgot to bring that. Read it. I don't want to. I don't want to cry. Actually, I almost picked it up the other day. Do it. I, Do it. It was sitting. So I have a, a stack of books on my desk. And it's in that stack of books. And that stack of books is directly in front of where I sit my laptop. And that book is directly at my eye level. And every time I look at it, I'm like, damn it, Kimberly. I have given you a piece of my heart and you're leaving it on your shelf. So (sighs) I will eventually, I will, I will make you a deal. (laughs) No, it's not really a deal. Okay. But I will put it on. I will read Little Women. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Joey. (laughs) I will put it on my backlist books of 2022. Ooh, okay. Deal? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I will add it to that shelf on my bookshelf tonight because I have all of those Ooh. on a single bookshelf. It'll be the quickest one out of all I'm of sure them. It's, it's very it tiny. Out. Yeah. It's itty bitty. So good. I'll get to it. I don't even know. I think I briefly mentioned it. If you missed what that book was that is causing <laughs> this ruckus, it is For One More Day by Mitch Album. It's like four whole pages and <laughs> I still haven't read it because... She made the mistake of telling me I was going to fucking cry. From how scared you are. Oh, hush. <laughs> so I think that we're both way more excited to get into the third book of this episode. Mystery of Mrs. Christie. This book was extremely hard to find. I couldn't find it at any bookstores or on Libro FM, Libro.fm. I did end up finding it on Audible. And that makes me really sad because this book was fantastic. That is sad. I looked in multiple bookstores in multiple states. I checked multiple libraries. Yeah. And I could not find it anywhere. I found it at the library. Did you? I looked. For, I wanted to listen to it. I looked. The No library had it on audio. Mm-hmm. And Libro didn't have it like you already said. So I was. I couldn't find it on audiobook. I did find it in library at yeah. least. Yeah. I found it on Audible, and it was an exclusive oh, to Audible. Oh, that's odd. A bull. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> uh, so this book is a historical fiction piece based on factual information. A.K.A. historical fiction. But I wanted to, like, really spell it out. It's what I do. They can infer. <laughs> His fic! His fic in the heezy with the AC! <laughs> I'm done now. The plot revolved around Agatha Christie's disappearance, but it had a dual timeline that worked up from when Agatha Christie met Archie until they eventually found her with her amnesia in a hotel under a different name. I want to literally, that's like 
literal literally and not millennial literally like i literally want to hear all of your thoughts on this book (laughs) oh my god i love this book so much so much it had so many great lines I loved how it was done because you just mentioned the dual timeline perspective, but it was also to be more specific. It was Agatha's perspective when she was meeting Archie. Mm -hmm. And then it was Archie's perspective when she disappeared. And so they were like both, you both, you knew where they both were going to a degree. Like it was fantastic. Yeah. It was just so well done. It like built the tension so well to like see the start and the end of a relationship from both per- from opposite perspectives. Oh man, we should reach out to her. Okay, she's really that. big though. That's why I'm surprised Is this she? book isn't. I don't know anything about her. Uh, she wrote the person. Well, she I think she co-wrote the Personal Librarian, which was a book of the month pick. Oh, and then she's had some other ones. Um, one recently came out or is coming out soon about a scientist. She writes a lot. Then I don't understand why this book is not everywhere. I don't this know. is a it's phenomenal so piece of historical fiction that especially with Agatha Christie's disappearance right. being so popular right now. Right. And it was so well researched. Yeah. It wasn't just, oh, I have a good story. Let's bring the Christies into this. <laughs> yeah. Like it made Agatha come alive for me. Yeah. Maybe yeah. this book is why I thought that. Just kidding. I read it after I thought <laughs> yeah. that. I was like, don't even freaking try. <laughs> I found this book to be like empowering, relatable. It was so delightful. Yeah. Did you read or listen to this one? Listen. No, read. I couldn't find you... it on audio. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So this is going to be a spoiler alert. So tread carefully. The book essentially blames Agatha Christie's disappearance on it being a way to manipulate Archie into agreeing to her terms in the divorce. The main one being that he names Nancy as the adulteress in the reason for the divorce. The real Agatha Christie never addresses her disappearance, not even in her autobiography. The only thing we know about what happened was that she was diagnosed with a memory issue similar to amnesia. Do you think Marie Benedict may have hit the nail on the head with this hypothesis? Absolutely. I absolutely think that this is what happened in real life. The plot is extremely plausible, and in fact, I hope that this is what happened. Because she really stuck it to him. <laughs> he, Archie was a mean-ass husband and who, according to this story, did not want to share Agatha Christie's love, so he didn't want to have children. But then, like a fucking hypocrite, he goes and falls in love with another woman and basically screws over Agatha Christie because he won't even name Nancy as the reason why he wants a divorce, which makes Agatha look bad. I was so pissed with him. Fuck Archie. Fuck him. Fuck him. I don't know if we could say that about the real Archibald Christie. I find it so plausible as well. It was interesting to me because it was like a good, relatable, makes you root for the protagonist version of Gone Girl almost. (laughs) Like Gone Girl minus the crazy part of the crazy bitch. Like no crazy bitch. It was like, no, this is what she should do because he is in the wrong Man, I really hope that that's what happened. Because especially with being under the mistress's last name, that is a power move. Yeah. That is BDE. Big dick energy. It took me a while because like, even though I use that term a lot, as one should, I wasn't expecting you to say that. So I was like, hmm, what, what does that acronym mean? Yeah, okay. No, that's, I mean... 
I really, truly hope that that's what happened. I hope so, too. I didn't actually look it up about what happened in real life, but in the book, he ended up naming Nancy as the reason for the divorce. Good. Yeah. Good. I don't know if that's in real life, though. Oh. Yeah. Uh He named her in the... Yeah. As a reason. Okay. Yeah. You didn't research that? I didn't. I totally forgot. That was one rabbit hole that a rock was covering. Did you read anything (laughs) that... (laughs) Like Dwayne Johnson? Anyway, did you read anything (laughs) that did kind of show and go with the hypothesis that Agatha was basically like a perfect housewife for the times? And like say that... Not really. Okay. Um, It's not a far stretch though. Like I could totally see that. And it was also kind of heartbreaking to see that because that also... So basically... What she did when you're going through Agatha's perspective is she finds a husband and she wants to keep him. And like you mentioned, he doesn't even want kids because he doesn't want Agatha to split her attention. And so sometimes she's makes terrible mom choices. And we already know that mom guilt is real to appease her husband more. She does everything from running the household to writing on the side because he can't even make enough money. Really? I mean, at first it was like just a hobby too, but and a challenge with her sister that was mentioned, but eventually they did need some of her stuff. Right. Yeah. And so like she was doing everything and he still wasn't satisfied with her. And I think at one point that made you hurt and feel for Agatha, but it also made me totally relate and hurt for all wives during that time period who basically had to do everything, be everything and be perfect or risk losing it when the husband did nothing. Well, and the the other aspect of that too is um, she became wildly successful, obviously. And he would kind of, at least in the book, the, the book, I don't know if this is in real life, but he would pish posh about her success and wouldn't want to talk about it. And basically it's a silly little hobby of Agatha's. Meanwhile, it's buying her a car, paying for the house that they live in and all of those other luxuries that his job can't afford, but it's a silly little hobby and it doesn't need to be talked about or celebrated or any of those things that you would want to do with your spouse. Exactly. And that, that was just like, so heartbreaking. Absolutely. On every level. And you could totally see it for her, for women everywhere during that time. Yeah. Yeah. So cheers to Agatha Christie, man. She was well ahead of her time, I feel like. Yeah. She was a bad boss bitch. Boss babe. (laughs) Boss babe. Yeah. (laughs) Who, you know, was following her dream, even though she got rejected several times and she was still doing it. I bet she was still doing it while still being a fucking great wife and a great mother Cause we're all doing the best we can. Absolutely. While having fucking side hobbies. Okay. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> like the, like, like podcast. Like the podcast is fine. <laughs> that we're totally rich off of now. Just kidding. We're not. Go support our Patreon. <laughs> we so want we, to get rich We want off of to it. do this full time. Full time, but we can't. I'm poor. Help me. <laughs> that tiny Tim. No, that's from the uh, bridesmaids when she's drunk on a plane. Oh yeah, that's right. That sounded like <laughs> Tiny Tim, though. <laughs> oh jeez, oh, man. 
didn't know I had a tiny Tim voice. Please, sir. I want to go. <laughs> I get Yeah. You hear it? Like, you hear it now. <laughs> you heard it, right? I heard it. Yeah. That's why I was so confused. <laughs> I don't know how Kristen Wiig sounds, so I can't even do it. I know the lines, but I don't know. Well, her voice is I'm deep. poor. Help me. <laughs> her voice is deeper than... I'm poor. Help me. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. I can just see the gif. <laughs> oh, man. So this episode was focused on Agatha Christie. But I need to know which book did you like the most out of the three that you read? You were correct when you said which book we are most excited to discuss being the mystery of Mrs. Christie. I'm most excited because I love it the most. Yeah. Same. Same. Which book are you more likely to recommend to a person wanting to read a mystery? The mystery of Mrs. Christie. It's in the title. Oh yeah. So I truly, I truly loved every moment of that book and I'm excited to look into Marie Benedict, even though you've already shed some light on her to me tonight. I think she's an excellent author, and I wish that this book was all over in bookstores like it deserves to be. So please, people, read this book. Read this book. You listened. Did they have the author's note? No. Okay. So she had mentioned a bit about how intimidated she was to write about Agatha Christie. Because she said what she typically likes to do and is known for is to find like super obscure women who changed history and like super impacted it okay and like just bring knowledge to their stories and background and because agatha christie is not a woman who was ever on the peripheral right is why she was intimidated like this is a super um well-known woman who's super notorious well known for so much so that's why she was intimidated by it and i found that interesting i like that um she has a shit ton of books Wow. Um, it looks like there's one about Carnegie's maid. That's the author of one of them. So I can't wait to like dive into more of her work. Uh, I think that she did an excellent, excellent job on this book. Extremely impressed. Uh, I wish, I truly wish that this was more popular than I do too. Than others. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) We hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of the Lost Chill Podcast. Please help our podcast to reach more listeners by subscribing and leaving a review. We read every single one together and jump up and down screaming with glee every single time. So you know we just truly appreciate it. And that is a true story, folks. (laughs) It's very true. If you can't get enough of the Lost Chill Podcast, check out our website, thelostchill.com, for blog posts and more fun. Also, consider becoming a Patreon supporter for exclusive content and swag. We are constantly improving and growing our offerings, so be sure to check back often. If it's additional reviews and cute puppies that you're after, follow us on Instagram at Katie's Lost Chill and at Kimmy's Lost Chill. Follow The Lost Chill as well to get all of the latest information on upcoming books to be featured, upcoming author chats, giveaways, and so much more. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Bye. Aww.